Welcome to Review the Future, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at the impact of technology on culture. I'm Ted Cover. I'm John Perry. And today on Future Express, we're going to talk about banning autonomous weapons and brain-to-brain interfaces. Ted and I have each, unbeknownst to the other, prepared some topic to discuss. So this is probably the least prepared <laughs> we've ever been. So we'll see how this goes. So, uh, so here's what is on my mind at the moment. Um, I came across an article on the Singularity Hub website, which is not a website that I'm super fond of the writing on generally, but I do follow it. It's associated with that Singularity University. Right. And, you know, they post articles related to technology and so on. So the, the article that I came across was about this killer robot concern This is a little bit old news now. The title of the article is Losing Control, the Dangers of Killer Robots. So some of our listeners may be familiar with an open letter that came out in 2015 that was signed by a bunch of AI researchers and also co-signed by many prominent people, you know, including Elon Musk and Stephen Hawking and Noam Chomsky and a bunch of other people that was basically proposing a ban on autonomous weapons that don't have meaningful human control. Uh, So this idea has continued on after that point and is apparently being seriously discussed by the United Nations. And that was, I think, the subject of the Singularity Hub article. To be honest, again, I, I don't know a ton about the progress of the discussion or exactly where that is, but I wanted to talk about the issue itself, since it's something that's very relevant to our interests, but we haven't actually openly discussed it on the podcast. Right. So the issue being the banning of autonomous weapons? Exactly. This uh-huh. preemptive yeah. banning, because we don't really have fully autonomous weapons yet. We have things that are partially autonomous. Right. Uh, but we don't have anything that's making its own targeting decisions, for example, which is, I think, where the concerns lie. Right. Uh, so... As I was reading this particular article on Singularity Hub, I was just struck by how bad the arguments seem to be in (laughs) favor of this ban. I mean, on the surface, I am against killer robots. I don't see how you cannot be against killer robots. There is a movement and a website called Stop Killer Robots. And when you take a name like that, it's hard to disagree with that on the surface. Right. Sure. Killer robots, by definition... Uh, sound terrifying. So I'm ready to be in favor of this ban. It just, you know, but uh, I, I find the arguments a little bit strange. Uh, so I kind of, I didn't just take it at this article. I did a little further digging and I went to the actual website, Stop Killer Robots, and I looked at the actual original open letter and sort of here, here seems to be the, the main argument. Now, the, the inside the open letter, the point that is made most forcefully, seemingly the only point, is that their concern is that there will be an arms race, right? That this will lead, like, if one country starts unleashing autonomous weapons or developing, not even unleashing, but developing autonomous weapons, other countries will feel the pressure to do so, and that will quickly escalate. And that certainly sounds bad. Right, right. We've seen that happen before with other kinds of, uh, of weaponry. Exactly. And that's my first response, which is, uh, are we against autonomous weapons or are we just against weapons? 
Are we against autonomous weapons arms races, or are we just against arms races? Because to me, I feel like there's nothing special here. Right. Uh, this is just another weapon. It's not maybe not even the most dangerous. Well, especially when among the current existing weapons sits, right? Let's just talk about the right, elephant right. in the room, uh, a world-ending quality weapon. Yeah. <laughs> the, the thermonuclear you know, class of weapons. So uh, we already have, as a species, the ability to um, utterly annihilate ourselves and it's already pretty well established uh, that we shouldn't do that. I think there are a lot of people who are worried about that happening anyway because of a failure to coordinate, and I, I, I count myself among those people. Like, I'm against nuclear proliferation, mm-hmm. for example, as a practical means of you know reducing the chances of us accidentally ending humanity. Yes. Uh, but it doesn't seem like the autonomy of the weapons is the critical measure since we've already seen that humans are willing to use weapons for immoral right. ends, right? Yeah. At least on this first point, right? It se- I, I think there's three general categories of argument here. So yeah, the, the first argument, and again, the one that is focused on in the letter seems to be a concern over an arms race. And to me, arms races are bad. We don't need autonomy to be concerned about arms races. Right. Well, you can see it having a, uh, a, a knock-on effect in that the arms race will make the autonomous weapon systems better, quicker. Yeah. And that's maybe bad if you already have decided you don't like autonomous systems, right? Sure. Uh, you don't want them to be better. You probably want them to be worse and more expensive in order to limit their use. Right. Right? Uh, yeah, I suppose that's, that's an angle you could be taking. But yeah, other than, other than the fact that it will probably improve their quality, I don't know what else... I mean, it's like, bad because it's an arms race. It's not bad for this other reason. Yeah, so that, that was weird. And, and that also ties into like a general feeling I had when I was reading about this stuff, which is, you know, th- I read a lot of sort of legal style arguments about how there's precedent for banning these things. For example, um, there are other, you know, devices that uh, have been banned or restricted for warfare purposes, things like landmines, where we have limited control over them the same way we might. It's sort of roughly analogous to I see, right, right. having... Because like, once you plant a landmine, it's very hard to turn it off from a distance. Exactly, and it increases the chance that someone gets caught, you know, in a in an attack later, you know, if you don't remove the mine after right, the fact right, or so right. on. Um, right, so you could imagine uh, a very dumb kind of autonomous weapon system that maybe just patrols a wall. Right. And it shoots anyone who tries to cover cross the wall. This yeah. feels like a Philip Gaedic story. And then like a thousand years later, when the society that built it is gone, you still can't cross that wall because nobody's ever been able to turn that robot To deactivate off. it. And it's just sitting there shooting anybody who comes near it. And it doesn't do anything else, but that wall is just not a crossable Haven't place. Haven't you heard the news, robot? Right? The war is over. The war is over, but like... You can go home. The, the ending codes were never sent to it because the people were, you know, killed in a nuclear blast. Right. And, uh, I mean, I, I, this this spins out. I can see the the hilariously bad scenario, but I feel like that's not how these things are really going to work. They're going to need fuel and stuff. They're going to eventually break down. Right, right. And and the reason yeah. I brought that up is just I was reading these. I, I mean, not even to talk about that argument specifically, although I thought uh-huh. that that was interesting. But sure. the fact that they were talking about legal precedent for this and that, and you step back from this, and you're like, you're, we're basically arguing over what type of murder devices are okay. 
Right. And I, there's something just patently absurd about that whole conversation that I feel like, well, we should be against weapons and war and murder, period. And like sort of splitting hairs over like this type of murder device or this other type of murder device. Just, <laughs> I felt uncomfortable reading it because of the baked in assumptions seemed to be like how much, like that murder was very firmly necessary. Now I agree, okay, in the world that there are, you know, people we may need to take out at a certain point that represent a real threat. But given that... uh I think often a lot of military action is taken that's unnecessary or ill-advised. Um, you know, I, I just found the whole framing of the conversation a little, right. little troubling. Right. Even if you frame it a little more narrowly as like military technology, technology that's designed not just for murder, but for exercising power over populations, you know, like a little bit more narrow so that you're not just throwing in like a gun that you would say buy to kill a, another individual person with. Right. Um, but you're anything that would be manufactured on a grand scale for a military that basically there's no civilian need for, uh, like right. a tank or a landmine or a assault weapon or a bomb or right. a fighter jet. Those things all feel like military hardware, you know? Uh, even if you're just talking about that, I feel like, and not getting into the thornier issue of whether people in their regular lives need weapons, which I think is more complicated. Yeah, well... Uh, uh, it still seems like you're just arguing over like which military technology is it okay to you know oppress people with, <laughs> right? Like yeah, to it, carry out state a- action of power against you know somebody. Yeah, and I'm generally uncomfortable with state military action, so like right, that was right. going running in the background of my mind while well, you I was reading somebody this like stuff. Noam Chomsky. If he signed this, he would sign any anti-weapon pledge, probably whether or not it had the word autonomous in it. I would imagine that would seem consistent with a lot of his views, maybe. but like, you know, maybe uh, you can't get Elon Musk unless you make it computery, you know? Sure. Sure. So maybe it's just like marketing for, for so, the... so yeah. So that, that was my first feeling, right? Uh-huh. Cause, cause that's again, the arms race argument. Sure. Now um, I'll, I'll cite as my source for these rough categories of arguments, um, the actual website, stop killer robots. Dot org, uh, and we'll provide links to everything we're talking about here uh, in the show notes. But the other major issue seems to be that it's immoral or unethical simply to have machines making decisions rather than putting it under the power of humans. Um, and I find this also somewhat problematic. Uh So here's what it says on their website. Allowing life or death decisions to be made by machines crosses a fundamental moral line. Okay, that's just an assertion. Autonomous robots would lack human judgment and the ability to understand context. Now, this to me seems like a sort of for now kind of statement because as we discussed, like there's not necessarily any magical human sauce. Like there's no human exceptionalism that I buy into that says that like, there's only humans can make these decisions. So if we're going to do this preemptively and imagine technology we don't have yet, we should also imagine that that technology might be capable of making pretty good judgments. Um, so I find that a little bit flawed. It goes on, quote, these qualities are necessary to make complex ethical choices on a dynamic battlefield to distinguish adequately between soldiers and civilians and to evaluate the proportionality of a attack as a result, fully autonomous weapons would not meet the requirements of the laws of war. So, again, I, 
it just seems like this all it could seems just... like all those things are measurable actually yeah and, and i know that the ai researchers that are in favor of this ban must know that these are challenges that eventually ai could take on and in fact would have to it, it just seems like right well when it says understanding context that's frustratingly vague yeah because obviously it would have to understand context in order to distinguish targets from non-targets right even if it was doing so in a really crude way like looking for things that move or looking for things with heat signatures or something like that right right um and this is roughly just the about page on their website so i'm sure they there are more rigorous arguments being made yeah for this stuff but it seems also really obvious that uh, human beings are capable of greatly immoral decision making especially in uh, cases of war uh, there's literally our entire history to stand in and prove that so uh, all it has to do is be better than humans it doesn't need to be perfect right and i don't think again there's any special thing or type of judgment that a human can make that no machine will ever be able to make I, that to me seems like a very difficult position to defend to assert that that will always be the case that is certainly the case now if anything it, this could have more context available to it than a human like let's say it's got really good facial recognition right and it can like look up a database and find out whether a target you know has kids or not before mm -hmm. it kills them and then you could program into it that that's the decision you want I, I feel like this is entirely a design decision i'm not suggesting that the world's governments would necessarily choose to make their uh, autonomous killers ethical autonomous killers but it seems like they absolutely could yeah, and if they didn't, then that's because they themselves were unethical. You know, it's right, and they they yeah. programmed it that way. I mean, yeah, ultimately, the, then the fault just lies with the programmer. Uh, I mean, it's it's absolutely. It seems like the technology could have been programmed better in any given situation. Uh, so yeah, I mean, another issue that's related issue that gets brought up in some of the things that I read was you know the issue of empathy, right? You know, the the robot can't have empathy. Uh, and that, you know, for humans, these are weighty decisions because we, you know, we empathize with our targets or we, we understand things by being a human. And I, I want to point out here that empathy is a pretty flawed uh, facet of human beings, right? I mean, empathy serves a purpose, right? It causes us to care about each other for the mutual benefit of humans. But, you know, empathy has a lot of, you know, parts that don't make a lot of sense. For example, people are constantly more empathetic towards animals and and babies and family members and things that are near them and people that they can see than they are maybe to, you know, large masses of people that they can't see. There's all those like irrationality studies, you know, that show that people are willing to basically donate a lot more money to like causes that, you know, are very visible to them, right? And that's because of like the way that human capacity for empathy works is it sort of triggers off of like, what's very visible and salient to you, right? I mean... Right. And it, yeah, and again, it causes you to care more about your, like, direct family, say, than, like, the greater good. So some, you know, because of your... You might empathize more with someone you know, and so then you would choose to save their life over the life of 20 other people. Well, for, in for particular, example. military training is designed to reduce your empathy for the enemy while increasing it for your military compatriots, Right. Right. Like, well, and yeah, exactly. I mean, that's on purpose <laughs> um, so that when you get into the thick of battle, you don't uh, revolt from killing people, which is right. naturally uh, abhorrent to most right. people. Um, 
But empathy isn't so, necessarily better than like a cold utilitarian calculation in terms of end results. Well, especially considering say. that the people employing these supposedly empathic uh, soldiers are basically trying to drain them of it in their training. Uh, it seems like they are looking to reduce, not increase empathy. Among it's true. And if, if empathy is something that people have in varying degrees... Right then, the people that are sure. going to be manning these machines, anyways, may not be the most empathetic, or else why are they assigned to that task? Right. I mean, they pick psychopaths to be, or sociopaths, or whatever, to be, uh, you know, assassins and stuff for that very reason. Right. Yeah, because of course those people are better suited to doing something that would be morally uh, quite troubling for like you or me. Yeah, and and actually, there's there's some specific. Um, we'll, we'll link to it in the show notes, but there's that uh, that really good essay that uh eliezer yudkowski wrote that's like cognitive biases affecting existential risk oh yeah and he goes through some research in there that i can only briefly try to summarize because i don't remember all of the details but it was something like you know asking people you know how much they would you know donate to to save an animal say that was like dying and like basically people when you go up in an order of magnitude from like 2,000 animals to say 20,000, the amount people are willing to spend actually goes down a little bit, which is very odd. And then when you go up another order of magnitude, say to 200,000, then it finally goes up. But again, only a tiny amount, not at all proportional to uh, the increased number of animals you're saving. Right. So again, and that's because again, our empathy is really like fails to handle scope very well. Right. Well, our just our, our cognition fails to handle scope well, right? We yeah. just have a hard time even conceiving of n- differences like that. Right. And so, like, I mean, even if you were... I mean, there's all these scenarios, too, where you could be piloting, you know, have a human pilot controlling a robot mm-hmm. that was hunting people in the field. But if you're sufficiently removed from that situation, maybe you're controlling every move that the, you know, flying death weapon makes. But if you're sort of controlling it in an air-conditioned room with a game controller and, you know, maybe the enemy combatants just have, like, big crosshairs over them that sort of obscure their face, I mean, you could start to see that that, like, that may not trigger the human capacity for empathy if it feels sufficiently removed, you know, if it feels enough like you're playing a video game. And that's a concern unto itself, and you don't even need an autonomous weapon to have that kind of problem come right. up. Right. We have currently that technology in use. Yeah, exactly. Where you can feel... So, yeah, I haven't yeah. seen any studies on anything like that, but it'd be interesting to see, like, has anybody looked at measures of empathy when you, you know, when you feel like you're playing a video game versus when you are out in the world holding a gun? I would imagine it's probably quite a lot more removed. Yeah, I mean, I think the more immediate the violence is to you, the more likely you're going to have a reaction. Uh, it does seem like that would be the case. Whereas the alternative here, like if we are talking about an autonomous machine, if the machine is programmed well, if it's programmed rationally, if it's programmed to the best of our ability, I, I don't know that it can't necessarily make a a sound, unbiased judgment. Yeah, well, particularly if it's programmed to follow the... Uh laws of war like as agreed to in various international treaties right it would probably be an improvement over our current method of fighting wars which is to you know hop people up on uh ideology and sometimes speed and give them guns and drop them into a place and have them uh you know uh massacre one another 
<laughs> right, right. I mean, you know, that's how things are done now. I think you have to keep in mind with this stuff. What are we comparing it to? Well, and here's the other problem with empathy too, right? Like, let's say again that this use of force, this murder that is being committed by the state, say, is fully justified because they are going after someone who is legitimately a murderer themselves or a terrorist of some kind uh, that is, you know, themselves a danger and from a utilitarian standpoint should be taken out because if they're not taken out, they will kill more people. For example, let's assume that whole premise is in place, Okay, which is already, you know, you look already skeptical. Like, well, it's like, you know, that happens, but there's a criminal, there's a, there's a, there's a international criminal that is committing crimes. Okay. Okay. It's like in the middle of committing some kind of crimes that are going to, then do you want an empathetic human to be in charge of killing that person. If, if, if it, if the correct decision is to kill that person, like why, well, that's the thing. That's good where is the you empathy want, then. That's the only place you maybe want the empathy is when you're making the decision. Is this a killable person or should we be trying to, you know, subdue and capture because, uh, that's when a uh, human judgment and maybe leniency or something seems like it might be most, effectively applied once the decision's made this is definitely a dangerous person needs to be taken out you basically want it as automatic as possible right uh and as far as making a decision like how much collateral damage is okay Mm -hmm. or how proportional is this uh attack to the inciting incident that it's being justified under or something like that those seem like actually pretty measurable things. But let, let, let's paint like an admittedly kind of absurd scenario, right? Like, well, sure, what, like, like it's like some like Osama bin Laden type monster who's like sure. guilty already of killing many people and planning to kill more. You have like clear evidence of this, right? And let's say like they're clearly in the crosshairs. You can they're take them in the out. Crosshairs, but there's, you know, there's people who are not them nearby, you know, so you're going to kill some other people who are not right but but what i want to say is let's right? suppose yeah that there's a moment where they're not nearby people okay but that, that was one of the things that they had listed was pro- no 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 right? but but okay. I, i'm just tying this back to the other point okay, okay. right like, so let's say because there's no people right right but the, but then so if you you have this moment this right. split second where you can take them out right and the machine will just do it right the person will look into the eyes of this other person however awful maybe feel empathetic, hesitate. And in that moment, now they are near people, say. I mean, I'm contriving this situation heavily, but I'm just making the point that empathy is not always going to serve you. That the hesitation there may actually result in more death. Well, certainly, I think you don't want empathy in in the hands of the killer. That's not the right place for it. Right. If you do want any empathy in the system, it's in the judgment phase. Right. There's really no point for it existing in the killer. If you've decided to kill somebody, you should just kill them effectively. <laughs> right. And I guess the There's concern... There's really no point right. in, in killing them ineffectively. That's just a waste. Well, and this is where this whole issue of autonomy is so thorny and hard to define anyways, because they say meaningful human control. And what does that mean? At some point, a human builds a machine, and then at some point, the machine takes over. And then where that handoff occurs is like... You know, could be any number of places. And well, but I, you can imagine a spectrum, right? From the wall patroller, Philip K. Dick nightmare that we talked about earlier. Right. It's just like basically no human re- interaction and almost completely autonomous system with very simple rules. Right. All the way to something that's like 
we feed it the exact face at the end of the trial mm-hmm. of the person who's been convicted through due process. And then it just scans faces until it finds the face. And when it has a hundred percent match on the face, it kills. And it's not clear to me when these people say autonomous right. weapons, like they mean, they mean weapons that are making decisions about who Firing. to kill I or think when it's, to kill. I think it's, it's the, it's the decision to fire is not, I, that's my, my read of this is that the actual decision to fire is not like reported to a human and okayed by a human in the loop because that's what we're missing now. I mean, we basically have machines that do all the rest of this now, right? We have machines that target that, mm-hmm. you know, recognize faces that recognize uh, various other things. We have machines that fly around doing surveillance and we have machines that shoot, you know, bunker busting bombs or whatever. You know, but there's a human, I think largely because of the the size of the bombs and the fact that there's usually collateral damage, there is a human who says like, okay, it's acceptable to, you know, bomb this wedding in order to get this terrorist or whatever. Right. Right. And like realizing, okay, we're going to kill civilians here, but this guy's so high value and he's going to kill so many of ours, you know. Right. Whereas like a next level up of autonomy might, you know, make the decision about that wedding itself. Right. That's what I think they're worried about. Yeah. And I feel like, okay, but you can program these things to not shoot up the wedding and to wait for the guy to leave and then to shoot him. Right. Yeah. I mean, then we're just back to the human like, it's exceptionalism. Just, how good is, just like how good is the machine is really the question to me. Exactly. Maybe it just has to be a little bit better before you're allowed to use it in the battlefield, in which case um, a ban on it is maybe the wrong approach. Well, it's like ban it until it's good enough. Just ban it if it doesn't pass certain metrics. Well, see, that that's the problem is like, this is a... Is it a ban on research or is it a... I don't know if it's a ban on research, but it, this is a speculative ban. They're calling it a preemptive ban. Right. Right. It, they're, they're saying like this, this is a problem that doesn't necessarily exist yet in the form that they're exactly concerned about it, even though the makings of it are all there. So... Since they're speculating about better technology, it seems like they ought to take into account the fact that the eventual judgment of these things might be, might totally match a human's. So yeah, we're just... Or or surpass a human. Or surpass it, It doesn't even seem like that's that high a bar to cross. Right, but I think some of the ethical argument is that like, because these are weighty decisions to murder... (laughs) Right. Well, one hopes, but I mean, is that really true? That, 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 that somehow it's more moral to have that rest with a human. Um, I, in fact, again, I read some arguments that sort of like brought up the issue of dignity, right? That somehow like it's, but I'm like, you're killing people. Like, let's not talk about, let's not talk about dignity in war. Like I just, I find it, you know, that's kind of offensive, silly. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyways, those were the first two arguments was the concern about arms race, which I just say, yeah, all arms races yeah. are bad. Uh, the second one was it crosses some moral line because these machines can't make the same judgments humans can for some reason, which to me seems very dependent on the quality of the machine. Now, the third one is where I actually think there's something to talk about that, okay. I, that I find more compelling. What's that? And actually has to do with the autonomy. So, uh, again, reading from the website, it says, quote, replacing human troops with machines could make the decision to go to war easier, which would shift the burden of armed conflict further onto civilians now that point, I only sort of think is compelling. That's not the part I really strongly agree with. But let's talk about that for a moment. So they're saying it would be easier to go to war. 
I guess because you wouldn't be risking human lives as much. But again, we already have that problem because we already have remote killing machines. Yeah, or just airplanes. I, I mean, airplanes basically... Yeah, I feel like remote weapons or airborne weapons already have introduced this issue. Yeah. Um, The next point, though, is, quote, the use of fully autonomous weapons would create an accountability gap as there is no clarity on who would be legally responsible for a robot's actions. Right. The commander, programmer, manufacturer, or robot itself. Without accountability, these parties would have less less incentive to ensure robots did not endanger civilians. And victims would be left unsatisfied that someone was punished for the harm they experienced, end quote. That, to me, is actually a real argument. Right. The liability question, it's basically the same issue as with self-driving cars. It's like, you know, in this case, when something goes right and they murder somebody, right? right. The self-driving car would have to malfunction to, to hurt someone uh, who's responsible. And, of course, that is an issue. But, again, let's look at other military technology, you know? Mm-hmm. The creators of that technology are never held to account when uh, their guns are used to massacre children or when their bombs are used to, you know, murder civilians. You mean the arms manufacturers? Yes. I mean, like, whether it's Lockheed or, you know, those are not the company, you know, those companies are never held to account. They're Mm -hmm. obviously not liable. Their programmers and their uh, engineers Mm -hmm. are not, are never liable. Uh, the country that employs the technology, or if it's like a terrorist group, then the you know criminal organization that employs the the technology, uh, are the ones that are held to account. And if they win, then no one is held to account. <laughs> That's how war works, right? I mean, terrible atrocities are committed, and the side that wins gets away with it. The side that loses is held to account. Um, I mean, yes, I, I think with, it, with, with, I, I generally agree with your cynical worldview with here, some but mo- modest exceptions, perhaps. But I, uh, you know, again, let's let's assume a slightly less cynical world for the sake of of but I, I this mean, argument. But but yeah, I think yeah, I the only person who could be held to account, like let's say you used robots to just like kill a whole village of civilians for no military reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you did this without direct orders from your superior in the U.S. military. Let's say you're a U.S. military. Exactly. You know, that, that's the analogous Then you'd be court-martialed, and you're, the U.S. military would, you know, hold you accountable and uh, would, you know, potentially deliver you, uh, depending on our relations with that other country, uh, to, like, a, you know, a war crimes tribunal. Yeah, no, and, and, but I think that's exactly the analogous situation that we should be talking about, right? Because I think the concern here is that the the autonomous weapon here is kind of like the subordinate of the person who initially sets it up, right? So there's somebody, some arms manufacturer programmed and created this weapon and maybe designed the algorithm that it's using. Right. And then some general or somebody uh, deploys it. Right. And then the machine makes a decision, right? Now, if the machine were a actual human subordinate right. of the general, then one of two things would happen. Either the subordinate was not following orders and will themselves be held accountable. Right. Um, or they, they were, you know, or by definition, the machine has to follow orders. That's what it does. It's, it's orders are it's well, programming. but the general in that so situation just, could make the argument that he did not fully understand the algorithm because this whole opacity problem that we, I mean, this is when we talked with John Danaher about algocracy, this is the problem with algorithms is they're hard to understand if you're not a programmer. Right. So he's 
put in charge of a machine that he may not understand. So then he could plausibly say, well, I didn't know it was going to do that. And then the arms manufacturer says, well, you used it wrong. And then you do have a little bit of a liability question. But I feel there. like it's still the general who is going to be liable. And I mean, yeah, okay, that's interesting. And there'd be like an interesting court martial case about it. Right. But I think at the end of the day, the person who would lose is the general because he's responsible for the outcome of putting the thing in the field. And it almost doesn't matter if he knew what it was going to do or not. Right. Like, I, 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 find, I find it hard to believe that the court's going to come down some other way. It's not going to find the programmer at fault unless they lied on their bid, unless they said they programmed it to do one thing when they actually programmed it to do some other thing. Then maybe they'd get, you know, dinged for that. But I feel like if they told the truth and it's complicated and it's an algorithm, it's not that different from sending soldiers into war. They're complicated. They're algorithms. They follow orders, but they do unpredictable things. And generally it's the most immediate supervisor who actually gave the order who ends up being held responsible. I mean, that's, that's why the, the hierarchy of the military is the way it is. It's so that you know who to point the finger at. And I do understand their worry that with these things, it might become slipperier whom you point the finger at. Right, but, but it just seems like you you know, this is what lawyers are for and you'd create you, a new I legal think, framework framework. I think you'd quickly this. work it out. Yeah. And I think honestly it'd be worked out by well, whoever the human who actually put it in the field was would be the human who who took responsibility when it did something other than what was expected. Which would be some amount of the time, I would think, you know? Yeah. Um although I imagine these things would be less likely to uh you know, just go crazy and kill a bunch of people and more likely to not achieve the objective if they saw too different of a circumstance compared to, say, squads of human beings who don't like to come back as losers, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, in that scenario you're painting, then then the machine sounds more cautious than the humans. I, in my experience, all of these autonomous systems have been more cautious than humans. And uh, that does seem like the way that at least for now, they're being designed. Of course, yeah, you know, in the future that could change. There's nothing. There's nothing guaranteeing that. That just seems like that's the way things are going. Yeah. So my my final takeaway here is, and and again, this is uh, an express episode. So I'm completely, you know, blundering into this topic, <laughs> not as well researched as I would normally be. So by all means, people in the audience, tell me why I'm wrong. But I feel like weapons are bad, arms races are bad, murder is bad, we should try to, you know, <laughs> decrease the amount of all those things in the world. I'm against those things, sure. But uh, if we're going to have weapons, I'm not sure that autonomous ones are necessarily worse. In fact, they might be better. <laughs> well, it's <laughs> Depending like, on how they're programmed. Right. I mean, I guess I, I understand the just like uneasiness with any new weapons because we already have so many problems with the ones we've got. But I also... Yeah, I can't say that I'm super sympathetic to this. It doesn't seem like it's going to work. And if the world's going to have autonomous weapons, I'd rather my country be the one developing them. Now, you do need an off switch in these things, obviously, because you don't want the silly sci-fi, you know, Skynet scenario. Of course, we're not suggesting that there's... Or the Dick like, story that you painted. Yeah. One, yeah. yeah, I mean, we're not suggesting that there's... Um, no unethical way to build killer robots. Of course, yeah. there are many, and science fiction and comic books have explored many of these options over many years. Uh, right. There are many ways to design an unethical robot that kills people. We don't think you should do that. But I think just the fact that a robot kills people may not 
in itself make it unethical. Okay, so that's, that's, do you, <laughs> that's what I was, I was I was forming that thought as I was saying it. Is that ludicrous? <laughs> uh, I don't know. The killing is just bad, so it's hard to separate that. But I yeah, could, I mean, I think the, the direction we want to be going, if we're going to use, uh, you know, more sophisticated weapons, is to, you know, make them non-lethal. Find creative ways to, you right. know take people down and neutralize them, stun them, put them to sleep, whatever, so you can bring them in for proper legal proceedings. Right. Right? I mean, right. that would and, be the and, ethical direction. And you can uh, prevent them from doing any dangerous thing you're worried about them doing, like, right. you know, carrying off some kind of terrorist attack. Um, that does seem like a more ethical direction for weapons design to be going in. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. And you can do, and that could be autonomous, non-lethal autonomous weapons. Cause then you later you could be like, Oh, this is like the 1% of the time that it fucks up. So we'll let this person go now. They're not dead because we used a non-lethal method right, to bring them in. What you're saying is like we non-lethally apprehended someone by mistake. Yeah. Yeah. So then we just let them go, which is really nice. Uh, they're inconvenienced, maybe, but they're not uh, killed. Um, there's an undo option more or less. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, uh, the inconvenience of that can be gotten over. Whereas, uh, yeah, once you're dead, that's it. And as we often talk about dying is the worst thing that can happen to you. So yeah, you want to just avoid Unless that. you're an M in which case that's right. It's then, mind there's, theft. then there's mind theft and eternal hell for your, your analogs. Ah. Anyway, <laughs> all right, let's change topics. Yeah, so the next thing, uh, uh, or the first thing on my list is um, I saw this article on the Reddit Futurology earlier today mm -hmm. that is about, it's got a real clickbaity title, but obviously it worked on me, brain-to-brain -brain interface, the next great leap in human communication. And there's this great picture of uh, an Asian fellow um, wearing a hat of many electrodes. He's kind of making a weird face. He's making a weird face, a little bit like um, the face my grandmother would make when she was displeased by something, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, he has on his head what looks like an upside-down black colander with like a uh, uh, hairdresser's uh, uh, dome on top of it. And he is, I guess, being fitted for an EEG for a human-to-computer interface. And then the, the article is just about uh, the state of the art in a brain-to-brain -brain interface. And we've talked a little bit about mm -hmm. this on the podcast before, but it got my head thinking about some fun things in that realm. They were talking about basically using this technology to enable direct person-to-person -person, like telepathy. Mm -hmm. So uh, people are wearing these things and they are playing 20 questions and they are able to think yes or no. And it causes like a, a blinking or like a light flash sensation in the other person's mind. Right. And uh, at the end of the article, they suggested some uses of this would be to uh, let a person with ADHD experience the brain of someone who doesn't have that disorder as a, I guess, therapeutic That seems like the weirdest application of this technology. Does it, doesn't it? And like, I was imagining that from the point of view of the person who does not have ADHD. 
all of a sudden being like sort of interrupted. Like, I guess I was imagining this goes two ways, but I guess maybe it only goes one way. Um, I was imagining the brain communication going both ways and this person just being constantly interrupted by the like frenetic thoughts of their um, hyperactive partner. And then uh, <laughs> this having like sort of the opposite effect and uh, driving these the well, normal so persons insane. And stuff in this around. scenario, whether or not it's two way or not, let's just say even it's one way. Sure. Right. Are they they're imagining full fledged telepathy? Like you think what they think, or you? I mean, honestly, I don't think it's that well. It's just saying that could be a an application of a technology that allowed thought sharing. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, we never talked about this directly actually, because when we did our brain computer interface episode, uh, we defined it kind of narrowly. Right. You know, as, as talking about human to computer. Right. Uh, and this is human to human via computer. Yeah. Or. Honestly, yeah, it's via computer, but it, the computer is sort of almost transparent in the process. Yeah. Because it's not so much, yeah, there's not that much mediation by the computer. Right now, it's like turning uh, thoughts into flashes. But um, at some point, they were talking about, you know, just hooking up the minds directly, basically, which would allow some some kind of like thought sharing. It also mentions like advertisers infiltrating your mind space. Right, basically, a really the worst place to go. Thought, just, just yeah. like, can you imagine just hearing jingles like in your head at random times or something? <laughs> yeah, well, that's like the the hellish Black Mirror right. style future right. version of this, right? Yeah. Where it's like they just use it for the worst possible thing. Yeah. Uh, well, so I guess I mean this really isn't that different, right? Because if you can do like when we talked about in our brain computer interface uh, episode, if you can get information out of the brain and into a digital format then you can certainly send it to someone else i guess whether i mean if you send it to them oh, in, a, in a sort of coded form that's like what flashes. i was th- that's what i was thinking though is like the the way that this is maybe sort of different from that is i think they're imagining like uh this technology being used more directly more like in a black box sort of way where we don't necessarily know how to get thoughts um translated in or out of the brain, but we can maybe just pipe them directly from one brain to the next because the brains themselves are similar enough to figure it out, you know? Uh, So it's almost like analogous to the M's versus AGI argument that Hansen makes, Mm -hmm. which is that we may not understand how like thought works, but if we just get better brain sensing and... Mm -hmm pipe it directly into better brain broadcasting. That's what they were talking about there. They're talking about thought broadcasting and recording. And uh, they're saying, you know, recording requires maybe knowing a bit more about it than we do right now. We can't really do that yet, but we can, we can tell the difference between a yes and a no, and then like either send the flash or not based on that difference. Right. Well, and that kind of stuff works through, through training. Right. right, so you you calibrate, you calibrate it, it like where and you, it takes a long time. You think about yes, right, or maybe it takes not a long time once they perfect it. But like you, you think about yes, and then they figure out because the problem is like you know everybody's brains are not that similar at the level of you know how they're storing individual memories is at least my understanding, right, or individual thoughts. Um, so I don't you know there's not some uh, you know open standard for brains or something that you can hijack here. But I mean I think. Well, I mean, it's not clear, I guess, whether there is or not, but there's not one that we know about. And uh, I guess the idea here that I thought was exciting was, 
well, maybe we don't necessarily figure it out right away, but we just figure out a way to hook up two mm-hmm. brains so that the fl- thoughts can flow between them. Mm-hmm. And uh, they figure out on their own, they train themselves on how to read that. So at first, you know, let's say you and I got it installed. Mm-hmm. At first, like there'd be something going on in my head that I wouldn't be able to make sense of. And then mm-hmm. gradually I would form an idea of it as being like, oh, these are John's thoughts that are coming in. And they would start to make sense. You to learn me. how to incorporate it almost like a new appendage, which right. is something that people seem to be able to do. In or other like studies. if you yeah. regain a sense through a sense, you know, through an external sensor, like they have people, I guess, have regained their sense of touch after a right a accident with um, prosthetics that give them touch like mm-hmm. response. And then they gradually figure it out. Right. So if we just had some kind of undefined link that was sending some kind of signal back and forth, right. our brains would eventually find some way to model that or like, or like, in, yeah, interpret it, interpret it. That's sort of what brains do, it seems. And it also seems to stand a reason that since they're both brains, there might be enough similarity between the signals going in and out that they could work out what they were about, you know? That's interesting. I've, I, I, I have no idea, but I wonder if it would be better, you know, if those people were actually constantly or, or often uh, physically together as well. Sure. So because like, I feel like, again, you still want to train it with context. Like, let's say I, like we're on the opposite sides of the globe and like there's this weird, like tingling sensations in our brain that's like sending signals right. well, back and forth. you're not getting a lot of other information. I might to start to get like, right. like yeah. this weird cyclical pattern that sort of is attuned to like when you tend to be awake or asleep or excited or anxious. Right. And like, I may interpret that just like the weather is some sort of weird background noise. But if I can tie that into seeing you and other social behaviors and hand gestures and facial expressions and so on, right. then maybe I can start to like actually develop something like communication with you. Right, right. Or if we were to practice communicating, right. let's say, you know, at a period of time, uh-huh. that would probably help as well. But yeah, I, 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 the, it's an interesting idea. I don't know. It just sort of tickled me that like, you know, you could hook some people up and over time they might learn to read each other's thoughts. One thing that sounds really doable to me who knows you know nothing about the actual technical challenges here yeah uh would be to uh to do this on the level of you know the visual cortex say um or like or the optic nerve right so so like maybe take the signals that are coming in through someone's eyes uh right and and route those signals to the other person well they're already able to have one person move like another person's finger by routing the motor uh, output to right. the uh, to the nerves in the other person's body. So it seems like very modular things like that you would definitely that, be able to do. Like yeah. it seems like you could definitely make it so that you someone could see what someone else is seeing, um, and that would be easier than maybe sending a coherent th- sentence as a thought. Well, if you had two spies, say, like two people who had uh, the inclination and the budget to adopt this technology because i imagine to do this properly uh again you probably need invasive like under the skull surgery it seems that way yeah and you can't i mean that's unethical in science so they're not doing a lot of experiments like this you know but but a government could say take two people that were you know working in the espionage business and i you know train them just to send dots and dashes essentially morse code back and forth 
um, have them go in for their operation and everything. And, you know, that's maybe a silly movie idea. Rather than yes, no, if you just did dot dash. Right. And you just train them on that using today's technology and you did it with an operation procedure, then maybe like you could deploy this almost right away. You could like plausibly put this in a movie set in now and people might buy it. Where people can basically text message each other without looking down. (laughs) Yeah. The technology allows that. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. But it is, it is telepathy. I mean, with two, I mean, and again, I'm thinking, you know, you might be able to have an alphabet that includes more characters than just two, but I know that the technology is not great. So the fact that you can do it with two is, means that. You, right. Telepathy is, in fact, well, if it's very dot, doable. Dot and dash, and all you know, all, the only difference is flash, long flash. Right. That seems like it's within the. It's already very realm much of like what they're, yeah. what they're doing already here. So, so there, there you have it. If you're trying to write a, uh, a sci-fi uh, spy movie, you can have that one. Yeah, I feel like uh, these Express episodes are going to have a lot more random movie ideas <laughs> thrown in. Because that seems to be where our brains go. It's just often what, how I make sense of things, I think, is I, I make a movie of them in my head. Um, how are we doing on time? I think we're getting close, so we should do our ending. Until next time. I'm Ted Cupper. I'm John Perry. And you're listening to Review the Future. To subscribe or leave a comment on this episode, please visit reviewthefuture.com. You can also send emails to feedback at reviewthefuture.com. Thanks for listening.